Aren't you guys nice? Some of you decided to stay or you didn't hear what I said. I heard him though, like I heard a buffalo. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your willingness to guide us through our sin into a place of communion with you. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your comfort. We commit this time to you and ask that you join us here to interpret your word so that we can learn to be better servants for you. Amen. Let's, uh, let's start out with John 2, verse 13. And while you're turning, I'll give you just a little bit of context. You can probably guess because it's a very small number. Yes, John? No sound. On, oh, on YouTube? We're going to stall and riff about nothing and start over briefly so that the YouTube works. So you guys can keep turning to uh, to John 2. And uh, <clears throat> if it helps, in my Bible, it's uh, page 1453. So, you know, you might try starting there. We up and running there, Shanzi? All right, we're going to, what, what is, okay, 1578, I stand corrected. That, if I turn to that, it's going to change everything we're talking about today. And I don't know, maybe we should try that and see if it's worth it. Um, Galatians, 1578 for me is Galatians, which is referred to. So yeah, it works. Okay, so, hi Dave, we're back. What page is it on your iPhone? Oh, okay. We're going to go to John 2. We're going to go to John 2. Good morning for the second time. Not the second time, YouTube. Definitely the first time. Good morning. Let's go to John 2. Uh, we're going to start with verse 13 and, uh, and just read through to uh, 17. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. That's 12. I'm still going to read it because I'm already gone. And they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. So, a little bit of context here is in order. Uh, first, look, we all like the nice Jesus, right? We're comfortable with that guy, the, the one who calls the little children to come to him and you, you see the picture in the back of the, the children's Bible storybook, right? And it's pastel, and there's this Scandinavian guy with this long flowing hair, and it's sponsored by Maybelline, and he's got all the little kids, and it's really just wonderful. It's pleasant. And, and we like the, the feeding the 5,000 because picnic, right? We're at the lake. We're fishing. There's food. This is great, Right? Nothing wrong with that. That's Jesus. That's really who he is. 
but he's also the guy that goes Rambo in the temple courtyard, right? This guy got aggro, and he had a good reason. Um, so a little context about the courtyard. What's going on here? This is the place, this is the only place in the temple where the Gentiles are allowed. Okay, it's the only place for them to come to worship. If a Gentile, if a, a believing Gentile comes to the temple, they can come only here. And they come from days away to come only here. And, and part of this is you bring sacrifices, Jew and Gentile alike, you would bring sacrifices to the temple. And your sacrifice would be the most perfect lamb, the most perfect whatever that you're going to bring and you're going to sacrifice it. And you get here to sacrifice your lamb. You've planned this for years. Finally, you got the right lamb. He's awesome lamb, right? And you come here and you're going to sacrifice your lamb. But first it has to be inspected, right? We got to have government. I don't know. We got to inspect the lamb and make sure it's actually flawless and suitable for a sacrifice. And this is where the problem comes in because this is kind of like a used car lot. And you're going to go take it to the inspection guy. And the inspection guy goes, uh, this lamb won't work. This lamb's no good. It's got problems. Eh, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. You brought the lamb. It's not my lamb. Your lamb has issues. But don't worry. I got a guy. Go over there. Right? My buddy over there, he has some good lambs. And he'll sell you a better lamb. And you can use this better lamb. And you can sacrifice your lamb. It's going to cost you a little bit more. I mean, you came all this way. You don't lose out now. There's a little bit of a, an extra benefit to this good lamb. Now, he may take some trade-in value from your old lamb. He's probably going to sell it to the next guy after he sprays some new lamb scent on it. And, and this is the kind of thing going on. And then there's the money changers because... You came all the way from Damascus or wherever. You're using Roman denarius. This is, this is what your traveler's checks are in. But they only take shekels at the temple for the temple tax, and they're only going to take shekels to, to uh, buy that lamb. So now you've got to get shekels from your denarius. So don't worry. I got a guy. He's over there. Now, it's not going to be the Western Union rate. This is going to hurt you a little bit. It's a convenience fee, but you came all this way, Right? So this is what's going on. This is, this is the place where the Gentiles come to worship. And it's massive, but it smells like a barnyard because it is one. And there's all these guys walking around with no neck and double-breasted pinstripe suits scamming people while they're smoking cigars. This, this is not what God was talking about when he gave Solomon the instructions for what the temple is supposed to look like. So Jesus is a little upset. And he probably has a right to be. You know, when Jesus gets upset, we might want to pay attention. And there's actually a lot of similarity between that story and that pastel picture. He's upset because people are preventing innocence from coming to him. People are getting in the way of communion with Christ. That's a pretty big deal. And he gets mad about it at least three times in the Bible, twice in the temple and once with the little kids. He got mad at his own disciples because they're preventing innocence from coming to him. And, and so we have a problem. He gets mad, but throughout the Bible, we still see his gentleness, right? We see it 
pouring out of him at every turn. He comforts widows. He heals people. He, he gathers the kids to his lap. I'm, I always picture like story time at the library, right? And Jesus is reading the book. Well, that's pretty cool. I bet he's really good at it. Got the little caterpillar eating all the things with the hole in the book. It's great. The, uh, when we're hungry, he feeds us, right? But he still gets angry. None of this denies the simultaneous call against injustice. Same guy. So let's take a look uh, to make this slightly more confusing, perhaps, because we're going to read some legalese from Paul. Let's take a look at Romans 5, and we're going to start with verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so we see there's a relationship between grace and accountability, the law, right? We see that we need the grace because we cannot attain the law. And the grace comes through Christ. So we need Christ to get the grace to overcome the law because we're as good as the money changers in the, in the courtyard of our own temple, aren't we? We get in the way, man. We prevent our innocence in Christ from meeting sometimes, don't we? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, amazing writer, amazing man. I, I recommend anything he's ever written. Um, unless you speak German, you should probably read a translated version. He was a pastor in Germany pre-World War II during the rise of Hitler and the Nazis. And he spoke out uh, when, when the Nazi party was coming in and telling the churches to be silent or join the club. Dietrich Bonhoeffer and, and some of his friends started something they called the Confessing Church, where they would stand up and say, no, what we're doing here is wrong. We're not, this is not right. And that didn't bode well for him. Um, eventually he, he got enough feedback from the Nazis that he left and he came to America and he was a pacifist the whole time. So he didn't believe in standing up to them or, or fighting them. He came to America and he felt convicted because he'd abandoned his countrymen. He'd abandoned his flock. He'd abandoned his country, did some soul searching, decided he wasn't a pacifist anymore. And he went back to Germany knowing full well what was about to happen to him. And he joined a social group, we'll say, 
who had the mission of trying to assassinate Hitler. When the man gave up pacifism, he really gave up pacifism. Um, eventually, he gets arrested for smuggling Jews out of the country, goes to prison, not a, not a concentration camp, but actual prison, where, of course, he led the guards to Christ and used them to smuggle sermons out to people. And he finally gets caught. They send him to a concentration camp. He gets hanged one month before Germany is liberated in 1945. He wrote a book um, called The Cost of Discipleship, and it's fantastic. Um, I'm going to read you some of the things he said because they're worth hearing, specifically with regard to grace and accountability. God loves human beings. God loves the world. Not an ideal human, but human beings as they are. Not an ideal world, but the real world. What we find repulsive in their opposition to God, what we shrink back from with pain and hostility, this is for God, the ground of unfathomable love. The community of the saints is not an ideal community, consisting of perfect and sinless men and women where there is no need for further repentance. No, it is a community which proves that it is worthy of the gospel of forgiveness by constantly and sincerely proclaiming God's forgiveness. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the gospel, which must be sought again and again and again the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Like I said, the guy could write. So, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for what? His friends. Well, here's the thing about friends. Speaking from hypothetical experience because my parents are listening to this and it's being recorded, <laughs> I may have experiences as a child that would lead one to believe that my friends probably know more about my stuff than most other people. To a stranger, well, they don't know some of those things that we did, right? In fact, the thing about friends is uh, 
Sometimes it's their idea. I'm just saying it wasn't all me. Um, friends know when you screw up, right? It's, it's a level of familiarity that, that reveals the truth of the matter. Your friends know. They know your character. Jesus knows our character. And he loves us anyway. Not because of it. But anyway. And the thing with anyway is it means that there was a problem. Right? If I say the, the sentence, I went scuba diving, I found the perfect pearl, and I took it with me anyway, it makes no sense. You found a perfect pearl, you're going to take it with you. Right? If, you, if you're driving and you go, man, my car is getting 200 miles per gallon, I'm going to drive it anyway. No, you're going to drive it because. And also your car is broken. We'll talk about that later. Right? It doesn't make sense. But Jesus loves us anyway, in spite of. It's not a reason not to, to love someone. It's a reason not to love someone. And he does it anyway. Let's go to Matthew 18. I got there first. So that's going to be page 1359 in my Bible and something else in all of yours. We're going to go from verse 1 all the way through to verse 14. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for the temptation of sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father, who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's the same Je Jesus, right? It's the same Jesus that went and tipped over tables, threw the accounting all off by tipping out the, the money changer tables, right? Anybody who has a math mind is probably cringing at that. Same guy, but look at how he talks about children. Look at, look at how he loves the innocents. He has a passion for purity. The, the greatest warrior can comfort a child in one arm 
and cut the head off a snake with the other. Those two actions are not contradictory. They are harmonious. And we see that nature in Christ, that he can stand for injustice while, while still having the gentleness to lead the, the hungry, hungry caterpillar to little kids. You know, that same guy. So if we're to emulate him, what does that look like? Well, there's the obvious answers, and they're not wrong. Protect kids and lead them books. That's a very simple way to do it, and it works. But but there's something else that that we are facing the opportunity for very soon. And there's something coming to us here that I think might be worth preparing for. We have one more passage, probably. John 8, we're going to read verses 4 through 11. And you can turn there while I drink coffee. This is the story of the woman at the well. Remember the, they were going to trick Jesus. They're going to bring him this woman of ill repute and see if he wants to violate the law, right? Because that was, that was the, the, uh, the thing. They wanted to see if Jesus would violate the law. And we will start, start with verse 7. Verse 4 through 7 gives you the context. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin be among the first of you to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And that last phrase is pretty clear. Sin no more. Why? Because she'd been sinning. Right? He didn't ignore the problem. He just gave her a solution. He didn't say, it's okay. It's okay that you've been sinning. No, because it's not okay. It's sinning. It's falling short. It's not fulfilling the charge. He said, hey, just don't do it anymore. Stop it. Right? Go and sin no more. So, clearly, he is the ultimate judge. He has the ability to make these determinations that we do not have. And that's an important distinction. In being like Christ, it is his place to judge and it is our place to love. And so here's, here's what I think might be coming. And this is just my guessing. But I think I'm right. Um, we aren't going on a mission trip to Sodom and Gomorrah. They're coming to us. Let us not forget where we live. 
Recently, and this is worthy of celebration, the Supreme Court knocked down some really bad case law, just legally speaking. It was bad legally, and it was bad morally. And the Dobbs decision has erased Roe versus Wade. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. It means life. That's good. There are states who are not going to have anything change. California is one of them. And what's on the agenda, companies are paying for this already, is something called abortion tourism, where people are going to come to abortion states to have their abortions. And they're going to be staying in hotels here. They're going to be driving through towns here. And companies are going to be paying for them to do it. We are going to be a destination for people wanting to kill their children. And we need to be prepared for that. So it, it's easy enough for us to celebrate this decision. It's worthy of celebration. It's easy enough for us to stand up and say abortion is murder. It is. Full stop. It is. However, wearing the t-shirt that says abortion is murder, having the bumper sticker that says abortion is murder, does nothing. All it does is gets a, a nod and a wave from the people who already agree with you and further sends condemnation to the people who we're trying to show love to. You know, after that, after that decision was made, I made the mistake of even opening social media. And the amount of people who I know, who I love, who I care about, who I pray for, who I grieve over, who publicly said, I did. I don't think it was murder. How, how do we approach that? How do we as a church show them grace? It's hard. It's hard. We, we firmly believe what we believe, and we should. But what are we doing? What do we want? What, what does God want the t-shirt to read? What can we do? What should be our, our overwhelming battle cry? Is it abortion is murder? No. It's Jesus forgives abortion. Right? We need to be the people who embrace the people in crisis. We need to be the people who invite in these poor women who have made a terrible choice that they have to live with. No wonder they're angry. No wonder. In sin, isn't it much easier to be angry at the fact that it's sinful and to go have parades and have signs and shout and scream and be angry? It's a lot easier than it is to face the fact that we did something irreversible. Now, I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I've that's way above my pay grade. I'd sure like to like to think that there's going to be a lot of mothers holding a lot of little babies. You know? And how do we get them there? That's the thing. Telling them it's wrong isn't going to help. Not going to help. Doesn't do a thing. Telling them Jesus forgives, even that does something. You know what Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler have in common? Same price, right? Same price. 
Jesus paid it all, same price. If you can buy a Bugatti and a can of chicken noodle soup for the same price, they are worth the same. And with our economy right now, who knows? So, can I throw the first stone? I can't. But can I, can I reflect the grace of Christ? Darn right. Yeah. So, we need to be in, in prayer that these young women coming here in crisis stop by a church on the way or after, or after. We'll accept them either way, right? God forgives either way, right? Nothing shall separate us. Nothing. And that's all it means. We need to be the landing pad. We need to be the ones when they, when they stop by an Airbnb and run into somebody who loves Jesus. That conversation could be ordained. And we need to be ready for the conversation that is highlighted by forgiveness and grace. It's not about what you did, it's about what he can do. What a great expression of the depths of God's mercy it is. But the answer is always yes. And I'm going to tell you, to, to slip into the confessing church of Bonhoeffer for a minute, we as the church have missed the message because that's not what we're saying. We can still fight for life. We have to still fight for life. We have to still fight for the innocence. We can simultaneously stand up and turn over the table and say, this is injustice. This is wrong. And we love you. And we accept you to come here. We want to speak with you. We want to be with you. We aren't here to judge you because there's already somebody else doing that. That's not our place. And even Jesus said, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. Just don't do it anymore. Repent. Change. His grace should call us to change. Right? So, there's the what then. Abortion is sin. Abortion is murder. And Jesus forgives sin. Jesus forgives murder. Jesus forgives spousal abuse. Jesus forgives DUI. Jesus forgives covetousness. Right? The message is not, here's the sin. The message is, there's nothing big enough. There is nothing bigger than Christ's forgiveness. And we got to be shouting that from the rooftop. The, the bumper sticker has got to be, Jesus wants to forgive your abortion. Because that's the reality. He wants to forgive it. Let us be the people, the church, not just you here, all of us, the church. Let us be the people who provide comfort for the young women who have made the decision that they have to live with forever. And they feel estranged, they feel convicted, they feel cast out. That's the child that Jesus was talking about. That is the innocence that he craves. We can be the gateway for those women to everlasting life, to forgiveness, to some semblance of peace. And that's got to be our message.
God, thank you for your forgiveness. We ask that you give us the opportunities, the conversations, the contacts, the, the bumping into people in the grocery store. In the, in the years to come, as people come here for evil intent, God, help us be a reflection of you and a, a very clear vision of what can be forgiven and what grace you have called us to embrace. God, let us simply show grace to people who need grace. Let us love those who you love. Let us meet the hearts of the hurting, be your hands and feet, and be a place of comfort for people who are hurting in a way that I can only imagine. Thank you for casting our sin away as far as the east is from the west for all of our sin, no matter how little, no matter how big. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Use us. Amen.